0: Welcome to episode 22 of the Atlanta Man Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rogers, and on today's episode, we will be discussing a lot of Atlanta Braves because they clinched their fourth consecutive NLEs title this last week and are going to the NLDS to face the Milwaukee Brewers, and we will also... Get into some uh, football talk towards the back end, um, some unfortunate Falcons talk because they had a absolutely dreadful loss on Sunday, but we'll save that for the end. We'll save the pain for the end. We'll start off the episode on a positive note by talking about the Braves and previewing uh, their series up ahead with the Milwaukee Brewers in the NLDS. But first, we will go over what put them, for or not put them in first place, what made them the NLE's champions, um, this week. They had a three-game set at home with the Philadelphia Phillies. They came into the series with a magic number of five. And I said on last week's podcast, if the Braves were to sweep this series, they were they would win the division. And that's exactly what they did. They swept the Phillies game one. They went 2-1 behind Charlie Morton, absolutely shoving. And some uh, late inning late drama from Will Smith and Eddie Rosario, but... Didn't cost them. They win game one, two to one. They blow kind of blow them out. Game two, convincing win, seven to two. Max Fried shoves. Um, that's obvious. And game three, Ian Anderson turned it a nice performance. Six innings pitch, two earned runs to lift the Braves to a five-three to three win and an NL East Division win. So they did they went out and swept the Phillies. They took care of business in the most convincing way possible with the sweep. And they've had all weekend to celebrate and prepare for the playoffs. They played the Mets this weekend in a series that um, didn't matter because the Braves have already won the division, but they did take two out of three just for good measure, just to assert their dominance over the Mets for one last time this year in uh, the year of our Lord 2021. And um, yeah, so first first part of this Braves talk, I'm just going to do a little reflecting on um, this regular season as a whole and how honestly impressive it is and many ways that the braves somehow won this division title with everything that has happened to this team um you know you look back through the calendar and look through the schedule and there's just it's just not very not a lot of consistency in the win column they really just kind of treaded water all the way until august and i mean most teams can do that they spent four months of the season not getting above 500 spending it like like usually like a game or two below 500, just not being able to get over the hump until, what was the exact date? The exact date when the Braves got over 500 was August 6th. Yes, August 6th was when the Braves first got over 500. Oh, wait, no, this is... This is wrong because that whole San Diego game mixed it up. It was actually August 5th. and um, Wait, what? Oh my God. Yeah, August 5th. That whole Padres makeup game that they had to play messed this whole thing up. But in the moment on August 5th, the Braves go over 500. It says on here that they are at 500 because they lost that game to the Padres in the, the makeup game. But that's when they first got over 500 for the first time this year, August 5th. And they won the division by six and a half games. So a lot of that has to do with um, the Phillies and the Mets just being bad, and the whole division being bad. But um, you gotta you gotta credit you gotta credit the Braves, and I think the main credit has to go to Alex Anthopoulos for the trade deadline acquisitions. Um, I think we all thought that they would help the Braves, but I, I don't think anyone thought that they were going to be as good as they were, especially like Jorge Soler. Jorge Soler has been. Braves' third best hitter behind Austin Riley and Freddie down the stretch. I mean, moving since moving to the leadoff spot, he's been absolutely raking. He's got like a nine seventy OPS in the leadoff spot since they moved him there. He's been absolutely awesome. Ed Rosario has been great since he's got got reinstated off the injured list. Adam Duvall, though he's on a cold streak as of late, he was just mashing home runs for a minute there, and I'm I'm sure he's gonna be able to pick it back up soon here and get on another hot streak in the playoffs. Hopefully, uh, then you got Jock Peterson who. You know, Joc hasn't been terrible with the Braves. He's just been kind of averageish, which I think if you would have told Braves fans that you just get like a league average bat to plug in when we had Almonte and Heredia and Adrianza in the outfield every night, or Ar- Arcia, you would have took and ran, and you got that. But he's like he's just the fourth outfielder now because the other three have been so good, so he's just a weapon off the bench now. And then you have Richard Rodriguez, who started off good with the Braves, but has got to some trouble lately, and. Don't know if he's going to make the playoff roster. I think he will, but it's like he, he's making it kind of dice for himself by not pitching too well as of late. He's being kind of cursed by the long ball. And, um, yeah, his his invisible fastball is, isn't so invisible right now. And, um, yeah, he's just been kind of getting hit around. For the past month or so, but he was, like, I think his first, like, 10 appearances in Atlanta were all scoreless, so he had a really hot start, too, which really helped the bullpen for a bit there, and he's just, he's just kind of like a depth guy now, since a lot of guys have stepped up in the bullpen, too. So, um, yeah, the trade, the trade deadline was, um, it didn't seem huge at the time, like the Braves added just monstrous pieces to push his team over the top and, like, win a World Series. I don't think anyone thought that or even win the division. I don't even – I think it was still, like, up in the air. It's like, like, oh, is this enough to win the division? I mean, it's good moves because you didn't give up much. But is this enough? And, boy, it was more than enough for the Braves to win the division. It was so much help for this lineup and the outfield that needed so much. And now the Braves are here. They're in the NLDS. And now once you, once you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. I mean, that was – it's been proven many times in most sports. Once you get in the dance, like some, something something weird could happen, and you can go on a magic round. Like two years ago, the Nationals, like they won the wild card game by the skin of their teeth, and then they just rode it and won won the whole World Series. So, not saying I'm, I'm not saying I'm picking the Braves to win the World Series, but I'm just saying once you get in the playoffs, you know anything can happen. So, um, yeah, and I've I've harped on this for m- months now on this podcast of so just how difficult um it was going to be for this team at the time of when these things happening the Marcelo Zuna stuff Ron Acuna Mike Soroka, all their injury slash legal troubles of how difficult those would be to overcome um yeah the fact that the Braves are where they are with no especially no Ron Acuna but not having struck a pitch an ending this year uh, Marcelo Zuna only playing like a I don't even know how many games he ended up playing, like 40-something games, and he was bad in those games. Um, and losing Ron Acuna, who was on on the right track to win the MVP, and I, I think if Ron doesn't get hurt this year, he's he's the MVP right now because the Braves would be in the playoffs and all these other guys would not be, and he would probably have better numbers than them, honestly. But, um, yeah, I th- I think he would he would have won the MVP, and they lost him midseason, and that was the day when I was – Like the season had been just hell already, and when he went down, it was like okay, so this is this was the nail in the coffin. They're done, and um, yeah, there's just really not much you can you can do about it anymore. That was just kind of like it was kind of like they put us they put us out of our misery in a sense when Ronald went down. Um, The day that Ronald went down, the Braves won that day, and they were forty four and forty four that day. And now they're going to finish the season, what is this, 88 and 73. So let's do some quick math in my head. 44 and 33. Is is that correct? No, that's not right at all. 44 and... (laughs) Bro, hold on. I got to do this math. Gosh, this is not a math podcast, so bear with me here. 73 minus 44, 29. So they went 44-29 and 29 since Ronald Acuna got hurt. Which, if you'd have told me on that day that they would, would, would have went 44-29 and 29 to finish the season, I would have said, you were absolutely crazy, and that's exactly what they did. And they needed it, because um, like they don't win the division unless they're that good. I mean, they ended up winning about six and a half games, which is pretty wild that they won by kind of that convincingly, but the, the Phillies were just, they really just fell apart down the stretch, per usual, and the Mets had a collapse of all collapses, they were really bad, along with the Padres team, I know it's off topic, but the Padres collapse is just ridiculous, they finished 79-83, that is just something else, so, um, yeah, so that's, um, yeah, that's pretty much just my thoughts on the season as a whole, all the stuff that happened, mostly unfortunate, and on top of, you know, the Acuna, Ozuna, Soroka, those are like the big three. When you look back at the season, the big three mishaps or the big three, um, I don't know, what's the, what's the right word? The injuries, the three worst things that happened to the team this year, I guess you could say. They were without Travis Darno for a large chunk of the year. They were without Huascar Enoa for a large chunk of the year. And I know those aren't as big a pieces at all, but, you know, think about the 2020 team. Travis Darno is one of the best hitters on that team and the fact that the Braves backup catching options were so bad throughout the year without Darno it made it even worse not having him. And you know it was shoving before he got hurt. And you now he's been a little rough lately. But before you know it got hurt, he was really good and having like a really like a breakout year kind of. So it's um yeah, it's it's a it's a crazy year. A lot of mis unfortunate things happen, but um, you know, here we are. And that's a lot of credit to Anthobos for a trade line and a ton of credit to Brian Snicker for keeping these guys – head like, just keeping their heads up and just saying, like, you know, this I – I don't know what was said, but, you know, keep, keeping them motivated in a season that was just trying for the whole team, it's it's really impressive. And I don't, I don't think he's going to win Manager of the Year. I think Gabe Kapler of the Giants will, but I think he's going to finish number two. Like, he's done a pretty fantastic job on the clubhouse side of things, um, managerial-wise. I don't uh, I won't get into his tactical decisions today. That's a, we can do that on another podcast. But um, yeah, he he really does a great job of keeping the clubhouse intact and um, keeping keeping spirits up. I guess you could say, and that has a ton of value, especially the manager today. So that's my thoughts of season as a whole, pretty much. And now we're gonna get into a little bit of preview of the Milwaukee Brewers. So the Milwaukee Brewers they won the NL Central. They finished the season 95-67. and Um, They clinched the division, I think, like last Sunday. So they've had a clinch for about a week now. They've kind of sputtered in to the playoffs, but they have been cruising for a while now. I know they were on the, the back end of some of that St. Louis Cardinals winning streak. I know they got swept by the Cardinals maybe twice during that win streak, and then they lost two out of three last week to them. And they're coming they're finishing the regular season on a four game losing streak, which none of the games matter to them and they were playing with the Dodgers this weekend who were fighting for trying to come back and win the division, which they which they uh, failed to do so, which is pretty crazy. The Dodgers finished the year on a seven game win streak and they still didn't win the division. they the Giants still won it. Nine and one in their last ten, they didn't get it, because the Giants went eight and two in their last ten. Pretty crazy. Anyway, that's a little off topic, but the Brewers. They've had it. They haven't had a clinch for a long time, but they were well underway for probably around a month now. Like it was a foregone conclusion in the Central that they were going to win. I mean, even with the Cardinals going on a um, seven seventeen game win streak, like at the peak of their streak, they they finished the season only five back, but it didn't matter because the Brewers had clinched. But like I think when the like when the Cardinals swept the Brewers. And their win streak hit the hit the peak of like seventeen games. They were still like seven games back, so it just kind of shows you how long the Brewers have been cruising for in the division. So that's a, that's a reason why they kind of sputtered into the playoffs and throughout through the end of the regular season. Which I mean, it could it could play a factor in the series of them not coming in playing their best ball. Not coming in having to fight for anything or play for anything just kind of cruising in and you know maybe maybe that affects their players somehow and of them not having to like really put their best foot forward in these past like two to three weeks of the season when you look at the braves who have had only three games this year where they could where they could kind of just kick their feet up and not really where the results don't really matter which i think the braves kind of got the perfect the perfect median of cruising into the playoffs and fighting to the end to kind of stay hot you know they had to fight all the way up until there were three games left in the year but then you have the three games to set your rotation set your bullpen rest some guys so I think they kind of got the the perfect middle ground of um rest and cruising in and fighting towards the end of the season so you can go into the postseason playing your best baseball and going into postseason pretty hot I mean the Braves are on a Hot streak heading into the postseason. They're eight and two in their last ten. You know they up the Phillies, so they're they're on a hot streak. So that's kind of um, that's it's not there's not really um, much like factual proof of this being a thing of teams cruising in. But I've heard people say about the Braves teams, like the twenty nineteen Braves teams, they cruised in. They had like a week left in the year where they didn't um have to play for anything and i like a lot of people said when they lost the cardinals like hey they like they cruised in and it like kind of cost them because they weren't fighting up until the very end like you like you don't want to cruise into the playoffs that easily you kind of need to put your best foot forward towards the end of the year and it's hard to do that when you like when the games you played mean absolutely nothing within the final few games of the year so so it's a weird thing. Don't know if it's really been that much truth to it or what. But um yeah, definitely, definitely something to look out for. The Brewers kind of come out looking sluggish in the series. So well, that's enough of that though. We'll get into the Brewers roster and uh, what makes them tick, what made them so good this year. And uh, the main thing that made them really good in 2021 was their starting rotation. And um, I'll get into it right now. They... Their starting five is just ridiculous, especially their top three. Their top three starters this year were Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. Corbin Burns is probably going to win the Cy Young. He had a 243 ERA this year. He had 234 strikeouts in 167 innings. Brandon Woodruff has a 256 ERA. He has 211 strikeouts and 179 innings. And Freddie Peralta is their number three starter. And he has a two eight one era in 144 innings with 195 strikeouts and that's just their top three they have their four and five starters are number two starters on probably like 25 20 like high 20s of the other teams in the league most of their teams in the league these guys are your number two starters at worst your number three starters their number four starters adrian hauser who has a 3-2-2 ERA in 26 starts, 142 innings pitched, 105 strikeouts, so 132 ERA plus for him. And their five starters, Eric Lauer, who has a 3-1-9 ERA in 118 innings, 117 strikeouts, a 134 ERA plus, and yeah, that's their number five starter on the year. That is how good their rotation is, and those guys are probably gonna be kicked to the bullpen, uh, maybe one of them will start game four, not sure how they're going to handle it, but, um, yeah, one of them has got to go to the bullpen, and that's just pretty crazy because most playoff teams, when they have a guy like that, that's probably going to be starting game two for them. Maybe even game one just depends on what your rotation looks like. So, yeah, their their team ERA+, plus this includes bullpen and all, this year is 123. So they were 23% better than league average this year pitching-wise, and that is elite. Um, might be the best in the league. I'm not sure, though. They have a, a team 3-5 ERA which is really, really good. Um, yeah, so they are really solid. Um, we'll get into their bullpen now because there is an interesting story in their bullpen lately that you might have heard of. Um, we'll start off with their closer, though. It's Josh Hader. He is absolutely filthy. Um, 123 ERA plus this year. Um, 102 strikeouts in 58 innings, which is ridiculous. Um, he's got a 348 ERA plus. He is probably... One of the best closers, if not the best closer in the entire league, 15.6 strikeouts per nine innings for him, which is, um, yeah, it's the elite of the elite only do that. He is very good and um, very nasty. And their second best reliever this year was Devin Williams, but he is out. He'll be out for at least the NLDS. They said that he might have if the Brewers were to beat the Braves, he might be back for like the NLCS or if the Brewers made the World Series but he will not be in this series against the Braves. Uh, It's Devin Williams. He's their setup man. He was very good this year. He had 2.5 ERA out of the bullpen, 54 innings, and he had 87 strikeouts in those 54 innings, which is very good. Uh, That's 14.5 strikeouts per nine innings, which is elite. He's very good, 171 ERA+. He won the Rookie of the Year last year, and after the Brewers clinched on last Sunday, I believe, he got too drunk and he got angry at something it's still un- not clear what he was mad about and he punched a wall and broke his hand um very similar to what Huascari Noah did in Milwaukee ironically Earlier in the area he punched the um, dugout bench though out of anger because of a bad start so a little little different but Devin Williams was drunk and got mad about something and punched a wall and they were going to be without him um for the for the for the brave series at least so yeah, um, it's just a really big loss for them. It's kind of the equivalent of the Braves losing Luke Jackson for the rest of the year, and and uh, like if you told a Braves fan they didn't have Luke Jackson for the series, you, you're not you're not feeling too great. But yeah, they're not going to have him. It's a really huge blow for them. And he is very nasty. He's got probably the nastiest um, changeup in the entire league. Um, it's a circle change, I believe, and it's just absolutely filthy. He just falls off the table. He is he is very very good. And um, I'm pretty sure he he, had, he pitched early in the year against the Braves and he just shut us down one two three. I think he might have struck out the side, if I'm not mistaken. But um yeah, he's really good, and they will be without him. So those are the two big dogs in their um, bullpen. They, they got other guys that are really good too. Um, Hunter Strickland is actually having like a really good year for them on the bullpen. Um, Brad Boxberger, Brent Sutter. Probably haven't heard too many of these guys because they're just relievers, but. Yeah, they have got bullpen arms too on top of their starting pitching. So when I'll get into their lineup, which is a mixed bag, I think their lineup I think it's good. It's a it's probably it's an above average lineup. Their offense as a whole is not above average though. They have a 91 OPS plus on the year, which is below average by a good bit. But um, they still got some bats in the lineup. We'll go through it right now. Their catcher they got one of the best hitting catchers in the league, Omar Narvaez. Um, He's actually fell off a good bit in the second half. He was really good in the first half, but he is still a solid bat overall. About a league average hitter on the year. Uh, he had 11 home runs. He had a 743 OPS, so a solid hitting catcher for them. Um, I don't. They, they mess around with their defensive alignment a lot, so I'm not sure this will be the exact alignment they roll into the playoffs with because they have a lot of uh, players to play with defensively, things of that nature. Um, first, one, their, their first baseman listed on... Um, baseball reference daniel vogelbach who is all right he's just slightly below average um, nothing special 730 ops at nine homers on the year um so he is just okay i don't know if he'll be starting a ton in the playoffs but he might just be like an off the bench piece for them um, their second baseman is colton wong had a very solid year um he's very very good defensively had a good year at the plate as well so he will for sure be out there at second base and their shortstop is Willie Adamas, who has been their best hitter since he joined the team. He got traded way earlier in the year from the Tampa Bay Rays. And since he has gotten to Milwaukee, he has raked. He has been their best hitter. Um, in his time in Milwaukee, 99 games, he's hit 20 home runs, 58 RBIs. He's batting .285 with an eight eighty six OPS. It's good for a 135 OPS+, plus, which is very, very good. He is their best hitter, in my opinion. Move on, their, um, list says their third baseman is Luis Arias. He was having a really solid year for him, too, 789 OPS. He can hit a little bit. He's got 23 homers, so good for him. And uh, now we get into their outfield. Well, actually, before we get into that, I'm about Eduardo Escobar, who they got the trade deadline from the Diamondbacks, and he is really solid, too. He's a solid hitter, 800 OPS with the Brewers, um, six homers, 268 bad on average, 458 slugging, so he's solid. And uh, I guess you could you could argue he's like their third best hitter this year. I think I would probably I would probably give him that. They also have Roddy Telez too, who has been really good since joining the Brewers too. They got a lot of their a lot of their trade pieces have worked out for Muffins, but they're not like top of the top elite bats, but they are very solid. Except for Ledesma, he has been borderline elite since he's came to Milwaukee. But Eddie Escobar and um, Roddy Telez, eight hundred OPSs since joining the Brewers, so that's pretty solid. And um, they're going to have to mess around with Tellez. He might be at first some days. They probably plato- they might platoon Tellez, I think. Um, I'm not completely sure, though. I don't watch too many Brewers games. But um, we'll move on to their outfield now. Uh, the one big name that everybody knows in their outfield is Christian Yelich, and he had a bad year. Um, kind of like last year, he's just been, like, league average-ish. And he actually finished a point below league average this year. He only hit nine home runs and had a 736 OPS, and that was a dude that won the MVP three years ago and probably should have won it in 2019 too. So kind of went from being the best here in the league to just an average one, pretty drastic drop-off, but he'll be out there for the Brewers. He is still, he's still not a pushover by any means. He's still a solid player. Uh, they have Jackie Bradley Jr., who I assume is just going to be a defensive replacement because he has been absolutely terrible this year. He's got a 497 OPS, which is just, like, unplayable. You cannot be that bad at the plate and keep playing. So I'm expecting him to just be a defensive defensive replacement because he is a very solid center fielder. And in right field, they have Aviciel Garcia, who has been their second best hitter this year. Um, he had 29 home runs, he had an 820 OPS, he's very solid. And they also have Lorenzo Cain, who is another really solid defender in center field. Um, and he, he is more of a threat with the bat than um, Jackie Bradley Jr. So he will probably be their starting center fielder for the series. He is a very good defender and a solid bat. So yeah, that is that's the that's the Milwaukee Brewers for you. Um hopefully I gave you a good idea of what this team is. A lot of pitching and uh their their mantra has been we're gonna pitch we're gonna pitch to win the game and we're just gonna have enough offense to get a few runs across and the pitching will take care take care of the rest. So that that has been their mantra this year and it's worked out. They and for good for good for good reason because they're Their three starting pitchers are very good, their top three is very good, and their bullpen is really good as well. And their offense isn't, it's not bad. I'd say it's a a slightly above average offense. they got a few really good bats, and um, the rest of them are just kind of league average guys, but they can still do damage. So definitely a solid lineup too, and they're just a solid team overall. Um, Now we'll get into my uh, prediction of this series. Uh, Starts on Friday in Milwaukee, five games set, best three out of five. And I'm going to take the Braves in this series. I think they're going to win in five, and I don't really have any reason for it. It's just kind of a gut feeling. Um, And, yeah, I, I just – I don't I, – I can see the Braves easily losing this one, but it um I think this Braves team is just different since the trade deadline, since the additions of Soler and Rosario and Duvall. it gave them enough, enough punch on offense to ha- make their offense, like, go a little bit over the top and – just um, be more of a threat than it was with Abraham Almonte and Heredia and R.C. in the outfield. Uh, God bless those guys, but they're just um, they're just they're just bench guys at the end of the day. So yeah, that's why I'll take I'll take the Braves and that lineup over the Brewers and the Braves pitching staff. While I not while it might not be as good as Milwaukee's, the Braves still have a really solid top three too. Charlie Morton, Ian Anderson, Max Fried or Max Freed would be going game two actually. Ian Anderson would be going game three. Um, so yeah. I'll, I'll take the Braves, I'll take this Braves roster over the Brewers roster on paper, and um, they 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 have a little bit more postseason experience than this Brewers team too. So that'll be another factor of why I'll pick the Braves to win the series. But this is not. I'm not um, overconfident about this. this. Is why I'm picking them at five to win this one. And um, yeah, so one last uh, thought or one last thing that I stat that I found um, before we move on to the end of the show. Um, I, f- I dug up the Brewers' top three pitchers against the Braves this year. They each have one start against the Braves. So, start with Corbin Burns. He had a bad start in his one start against the Braves. Four innings pitched, gave up nine hits, five earned runs, two walks, had six strikeouts, and he gave up a homer to Austin Riley. So, look out for that. He had a pretty one of his worst starts of the year against the Braves. We'll go to Brandon Woodruff now, who had a l- little bit better of a start, but still nothing crazy. Um, he went five and a third innings pitched, eight hits, three earned runs, one walk, six, six punch-outs, and a homer. I believe Dansby hit a homer off of him, if I'm not mistaken. And then we'll move on to Perolta, who out of the three had the best start by far. He actually shut the Braves down in his one start against Atlanta. Six innings pitched, just two hits, zero earned runs, one walk, eight strikeouts. So... Peralta, who will probably be their Game 3 starter, had the best outing against the Braves out of all three of these guys. So, um, yeah, that's how the Brewers pitchers fared against Atlanta this year. Two, one bad start, one so-so start, and one really good start. So kind of a mixed bag there. But, yeah, the Braves hit Corbin Burns, which I think is the most important one because he's the Game 1 starter. He's their best pitcher. And they also got to Brandon Woodruff a little bit too. So I think um, – it's, a, it's, it's, it's interesting to look at, you know, it could end up not marrying at all, but I think it was just something that I thought, thought in my head that like I should probably look and see how the Brewers fared against this lineup. And uh, one thing of note is that Woodruff and Burns' starts were after the deadline, so that was Eddie Rosario and Adam Duvall, or not Eddie Rosario, Jorge Soler and Adam Duvall. Um, Eddie Rosario was still on the injured list when they pitched, but that first Braves lineup, it did have Ron Acuna in it and Marcelo Zuna, but, you know, Marcelo was kind of struggling at that time. It was just kind of two different teams, so it's just, I think that was that's worth noting that this the two Woodruff and Burns starts are against the new Atlanta Braves, I'd say. So, yep, that's all I have on the Braves in the little preview of the series. Um... You know, if anything crazy, crazy happens in this series, I might record earlier than Monday. Um, You know, if, like, if things, if the, (laughs) I said this last week, but maybe this is like a magical sentence because I said this last week, but if the Braves were to sweep, the series would be over on Monday, so. That would be interesting. Or if they did get sweaty and vice versa, hopefully, if they do, if there is a sweep in the series, it's Atlanta, but I'm not expecting that at all. I'll stick with my prediction, Braves and Fives. So that'll do it for the Braves and Brewers talk. Now we'll move on to the unfun portion of the episode and talk about the Falcons. Who had a very, very interesting loss, I'd say. Interesting is a word for it. Uh, to the Washington football team, they lost thirty-four to thirty, um, and I'm not gonna spend entirely too much time on this because it's just so stupid the way they lost this game. And the Falcons are just they're um they're gonna they're gonna be running thin on showtime on this program if they continue to play like this. So I'm just gonna kind of breeze by this because it's just uh, it's just infuriating to talk about to be honest with you. So. The one probability of trying this game, we're just not looking at it, is pretty crazy. It was a very back and forth game. So we'll we'll go we'll go through all the scoring plays first, and then I'll tell you what happened and why things are the way they are with this team. So first quarter, Falcons went up three 0 nothing on a Young ku field goal. And then the second, Cordero Patterson, who I'll get into later, who had a very good game. 42-yard touchdown touchdown catch from Matt Ryan made it 10-0 in the second quarter. Then Terry McLaurin. 33-yard touchdown catch. Uh, Antonio Gibson had a, a touchdown that made it 13 to seven if they missed the extra point. But right before halftime, Cordero Patterson again a 12-yard catch for a touchdown to make it 17 to 13 at the half. Third quarter, the football the football team started off by returning the kickoff 101 yards. Um, They missed another extra point to make it 19 to 17. The Falcons responded immediately by Cordero Patterson scoring another touchdown. He started the game, he's insane. And here's one of the big gripes I have with the Falcons in this game. They went for two for no apparent reason. You know, I'm usually a proponent of going for two and being a little bit aggressive when it makes sense. It did not make sense at all here. Uh, They don't get it, 23 to 19. That'll be important later. So we move on and The football team gets a field goal, five minutes left in the third to make it 23-22. And then Mike Davis gets a touchdown in the fourth quarter to start it off to make it 30-22. And then the rest of the game was all football team, as Terry McLaurin had another touchdown to make it 30-28. They missed their two-point conversion to tie it up. And then J.D. McKissick had a pretty crazy 30-yard touchdown catch Um, that made it 34-30. They missed their two-point conversion again. But, um, yeah, and that would be the final score, 34-30. to 30. So going back immediately to the going for two on the third Cordero touchdown, if the Falcons just kicked their point there, it's a 34-31 to 31 game, and all they had to do was kick a field goal to tie it at the end of regulation. Instead, they had to throw up a Hail Mary, which I don't think they were in field goal range to end the game, but they were close, and they probably could have ran a couple plays to get Koo in range. But, yeah, just kind of an infuriating call right there, just chasing points for no reason. And it really cost them in the end because they had to go for the touchdown after um, being down four instead of the th- three it would have been if they would have just went for the regular point after attempt. So that was pretty infuriating. And another infuriating thing was when the Falcons were up thirty to twenty eight, their la- their second to last possession before their hail mary possession, um, they went three and out on three runs and just handed the ball right back to Washington which the the conservativeness on that on that drive was just maddening um arthur smith was coaching like he was up two touchdowns right there and that was um i thought that was just ridiculous and that was probably more more infuriating than the missed two-point conversion just that kind of play calling and that kind of just clock man like just like oh we're gonna bleed the clock up two when our defense really hasn't been able to get consistent stops all day, on top of it all, it's just infuriating. It's one thing. It would have been it really would have been one thing if the Falcons' defense had been like shutting out Washington, but they they weren't. I mean they they had scored twenty eight points against them. By no means were the Falcon were the Falcons' defense just shutting down them, shutting down Washington all day. And I mean, just like according right according to the script, they went down and scored scored a touchdown. Falcons actually got lucky that it was a touchdown because they were down two and if McK- the McKissick got a really really close to not having it and the ball being at the one on the, on his touchdown and then Washington could have just bled the clock down to one second and kicked a field goal to win the game so they actually got fortunate by Washington scoring a touchdown. Washington probably should have just um, milked it and kicked a field goal, but that ended up happening. didn't end up, didn't end up costing them, but yeah, nonetheless, still another annoying thing. Kickoff return was really bad. Just really bad um, kick coverage from the Falcons. That was, you know, I just kind of looked up and the half had started and he was just running it back. It was just really annoying. Just one. Of, it's just one of those Falcons games, man, where they just find a interesting and weird way to lose. And it was just very Falcons-esque. Um, at least they weren't up by, like, a huge amount of points. They led 10 to nothing at one point in this game, but didn't lead by any outrageous score or anything. So... Yeah, it's um, it, it was it was pretty brutal. I'll will say that. So we'll get into the stats real quick. Um, not too much to talk about on Atlanta side. Matt Ryan was solid. I mean, twenty five of forty two, two hundred eighty three yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Not he. It was not his fault. I'll say that, and I mean that's just kind of the story of Matt Ryan in Atlanta. It really wasn't his fault. He was fine. Um, now we'll get into. Who I think, I mean this this dude, he has just been the surprise of all surprises. Everyone know he was a talented guy. He's one of the best kick returners of all time, one of the best punt returners, just a Swiss Army knife running back, size wide receiver. I just want to kind of give him his his um, moment right now on this podcast. Cordero Patterson has been awesome this year. I mean, all caps awesome, um, and this was his best game so far. The rushing. Wasn't crazy, but he still led the team in rushing yards with 34, which is just, the rushing attack was terrible in this game. Um, Mike, like the, the, a lot of it was pass or run blocking, but uh, Mike Davis got a bulk of the carries and he wasn't going anywhere. He had 13 carries for 14 yards, which is just brutal. But anyway, we're talking about, we're talking about Cordero Patterson. He had six carries for 34 yards, led the team, 5.7 yards per carry, which is really good. But um, he really made his dent in this game receiving. He had six targets. He caught five of them for 82 yards and three touchdowns, including a 42 yarder. So he was awesome in this one. Um, been the best offensive player for the Falcons this year, been their best weapon, which is shocking considering you have Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. And, you know, I think my people coming to the year thought Mike Davis was going to be better than Quero Patterson, but that's just not been the case. He has been incredible. I'm going to start this year so for the rest of the receivers Ridley had a good game um seven catches 13 targets only caught seven of them though we like to get a little more of a higher catch rate on those targets but still seven catches for 80 yards no touchdowns you know it's an all right performance by his standards you know you like to see a little bit more from ridley but he's still he had some big catches on the stretch he also had some big drops in this one too a lot of drops in this game offensively and defensively the falcons probably shot a few picks in this game too I uh, forgot to talk about that earlier, so kind of, yeah, just a really maddening game overall. Anyway, uh, Kyle Pitts, he was all right. Nine targets, four catches, 50 yards, it's whatever, um, and then Hayden Hurst had four catches, too for 29 yards, but um, yeah, that's pretty much it in this one. I'm um, just kind of getting a headache just thinking about it and then talking about it because it was just one of those agonizing games that they put us through, so We'll move on now. We'll just we'll breeze by college football because it was a rough college football weekend for me too. I'll start off with my jackets. They got pumped by Pittsburgh, fifty two to twenty one. Pittsburgh led fourteen to nothing with nine minutes left in the first quarter, and they kind of never looked back. Uh, they led twenty eight to seven at one point. They led forty two to fourteen at one point. They finished it fifty two to twenty one. Yeah. Well, um, and then we'll talk about we'll talk about Georgia. They actually had a really impressive performance, I'd say. Um, they faced a hot Arkansas team. Came they came into Athens to play them. Uh, number eight in the country, they're undefeated. Just coming off a win against Texas A and M, and Georgia stomped them thirty seven to nothing. So yeah, Georgia is good. I'll say that they are very good. They play Auburn next week, um, and yeah, we'll we'll see if they lose. I have a feeling they might not lose until they have to play Alabama. So, still early in the college football season, we'll get more in depth in the college football as the year goes on. But really, just not a ton to talk about because Georgia Tech is just being super weird and Georgia is just being super good, and that's just something I don't want to talk about. Kind of biased of me, but um, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry if you're a Georgia fan listening. I'm just, I'm not gonna. I I I refuse to sit here and just sing their praises for 30 minutes i'll say they're very good i will but um yeah that'll be it for the college football talking. that'll be it for the episode if you made it this far listening i really appreciate it i thank you for listening a whole lot um yeah and i will uh see you either later this week if something crazy happens with the brave series if something just absurd happens i might hop on just give like a quick little recap of the game i don't know yet i'll have to see see how things play out but I'll at least see you next Monday and we'll recap the first couple of games of this braves brewer series. Um, probably another agonizing Falcons loss and, and we'll talk a little more college football then too. So I will see you in the next one.